morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us this morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 11. That's where we are. So far, so good in this service. We had some events happen in the first service. Mike didn't work for a little while, and then I was attacked by a scorpion. And I lived to talk about it. Right up here. The remains are right up here on the side here. You want to see it? Come on up. Acts chapter 11, how it changes everything. Mike, you can uh, adjust that just a little bit. It's bouncing off the walls here a little bit. New mic. Not, not him, this mic here. <laughs> I wasn't asking for a new mic, okay? He does a good job over there. How it changes everything. Handling criticism. Oh, boy! Sounds like fun, huh? We're going to talk about how to handle criticism. Let me give you a summary statement of the book of Acts thus far. We're working our way through the book of Acts, and it'll take us to the end of the year. The book of Acts could be summarized like this. Here's the thesis statement. It is about the Word of God. I'm sorry. It's about the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the hearts and lives of the people of God, making an impact in this world for God. That's the thesis statement. There was this small band of believers who encountered the risen Savior and Lord Jesus... And their lives were never, ever the same as a result of that. And they went on to tell the world about the new life that they had in him. And the same thing will happen to you when you encounter him. That's what the book's about. I mean, and they just go throughout the world. In fact, the key verse is Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. The word witness means martyr. In other words, you will be so captivated by the love of the Savior that you will be willing to give your life for him. And then it talks about these really working out in these concentric circles. You will go into Jerusalem, which is their hometown, and then their backyard, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. And that's what we see happening. Now, I said the people of God, so it's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the hearts and lives of the people of God, people of God relationships that speak the truth in love are God's primary means of growing us up. Relationships, people of God, relationships that speak the truth in love is God's primary means of growing us up. Growing us up, what's that? Yeah, it gives us opportunity to to increase in intimacy and maturity. Intimacy with one another, maturity. Not only with one another, but also with God. And it's in a context of relationships that speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, it says, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Why is that? Because we love each other best when we are truthful, and our truth is best expressed when we are loving. But here's the problem. Big problem. Relationships do not put us in conflict with, uh, with the other person, with the people in those relationships. It actually puts us in conflict with our own sinful nature. Relationships don't put us in conflict with others as much as it puts us in conflict. Listen to me. As much as it puts us in conflict with our own sinful nature. It gives us opportunity, and you've probably heard me say this, if you've been here for any length of time, this is one of the statements that I've said over the years, that conflict is inevitable in any relationship. 
Combat is optional. Conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Don't run from conflict. Conflict has great opportunity for greater levels of intimacy in that relationship and maturity. It gives you opportunity to grow up and to get to know that person for that person to get to know you. But see, the problem is, is that we don't always deal with it appropriately. And we're going to talk about that as it relates to uh, handling criticism. But here's our, here's our issue as it relates to our sinful nature. So if relationships put us in conflict, not so much with others, but it puts us in conflict with our own sinful nature, what is that sinful nature? What is it doing? Well, our tendency is we fit into one of two categories as it relates to speaking the truth in love. Now, think about the category you might fit into. Because you need to know what category you would fit into. We tend to, there's that group of people that would, they, they're real good at speaking the truth, but not with much love. And that would be the type that want to deal with the issues right up front. They're kind of that open aggression type people. You know, the, I call them the gunslinger type. It's like they just want to deal with the issues right up front. And, and I tend to be more like that. And now my wife tends to be on the other side where she's all about love with very, very little truth. And that's the passive. Did I say something wrong? I always say something wrong. So you got, that was, was that a funny? That my wife is all about love but very little truth? That's true. But that's, that's the tendency. She's, she tends to be more passive-aggressive. Uh, passive Does that make sense? I, I feel really like... I, I, I feel vulnerable right now. Like <laughs> I can say those things. My wife's not in the service. Now, she would agree. So, so think about this. There's this tendency... There's this tendency that we swing to one extreme or the other. I tend to be all truth, no love. She tends to be all love and no truth. She's passive and aggressive in her aggression, in her anger, in dealing with the issues. And I tend to be more open. Um, we all tend to swing to one extreme or the other. And, um, and so here, here's the issue. You've, you've heard me say this before, is that, see, and, and they're both controlling. They're both about controlling one another. Well, the one does it in an open fashion, trying to control. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. And then the other one does it more in a passive. She tends to be, and I call that, so the one is more of the gunslinger. I'm more of the gunslinger. Come out there with uh, guns blazing and uh, wait to see who's still standing after the dust settles kind of a thing. Just want to deal with things right up front. And then she tends to do more of the Eskimo treatment. I'm going to freeze this dude out. That's what I'm going to do. And so there's that kind of dynamics that's working in our relationships. And so, by the way, what happens when a controller, that is an open, aggressive person, meets a passive, aggressive person? They get married. That's right. That's exactly what happens. And so welcome to our dysfunctional world. We tend to, op you know, when they say opposites attract, because I saw something about her. She was just low, so laid back. Nothing ever bothered her. Everything bothered me. It's like, ah. And she's just like, ah. Later only to find out she's too passive aggressive in her, in her dealing with the issues of life. And then I'm too open. And so it creates this crazy dynamic. So, so which category do you fit into? Do you tend to, and by the way, it can switch because... Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you right now. On the job, I tended to be a little bit more passive in my aggressive, aggressiveness, particularly on the fire department because I want to keep my job. And, but I would come home and I was very open aggression, open with my anger and frustration. And so I tended to speak the truth without much love at home. But at work, I tended to be all about love and very little truth. There were times when I needed to speak the truth. And so we, what we need to do is balance that. We've got to get good at speaking the truth in love because when we do that in our relationships, that's how we grow up. 
And so we need a lot of help, don't we? Because we tend to swing to one extreme or the other. When someone gets onto us because we're two, and this was, this was my tendency when my wife began to confront me over my open aggression, and I would talk to her about her passive aggression, we tend to swing to that, that other extreme. I tended to be passive-aggressive rather than to, than to learn how to be more loving in my truth-telling. And her the same. So we're going to have fun this morning. It's going to be great. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment. We're going to pray. God, uh, we, are, we are delighted to be here today. We, there's nothing we enjoy more than knowing you and making you known. When we know that you're here today to meet with us and to speak to us. And so we come uh, with open hearts, open minds, open our eyes so that we can see your glory, your beauty more clearly. Lord, help us to see, uh, see you, see that you came to this earth with grace and truth to bring freedom to our lives so that we could be people of grace and truth. So we could be people who speak the truth in love so that we can grow up in you, become more like you. So God, help us today to learn how to handle criticism by learning how to receive it, how to give it, and then the benefits of it for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I'm going to begin reading and we're going to work through it. Uh, I'm going to read a section. Instead of reading the whole chapter, I'm just going to read the first 18 verses and then we'll kind of work through it. And we're going to, the first section deals with how to receive criticism. How do you receive criticism? And then... Um, and then the next section we'll read is the next part of Acts, chapter 11, verses 19 through 24, how to give it. I think there's a great example of giving criticism, and then we'll wrap it up by talking about the benefits of it. That's the last part of Acts, chapter 11, and then we're going to take communion this morning. So let me begin reading Acts, chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now he's talking about chapter 10. Peter had this unbelievable vision from God. God, he encountered God. God told him to go to Cornelius and preach the gospel. The whole household of Cornelius uh, is converted, comes to faith in Jesus. Holy Spirit comes upon them, similar to that of Acts chapter 2. That's what he's talking about here. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, so Peter's going up to Jerusalem from this event. And... uh, and, and what's interesting, like I said, this is the, the rippling effect of the gospel being spread throughout the world, though the Jews, many of these Jewish Christians, didn't understand that it was also for the Gentiles. And so that chapter 10 is the first really strong outpouring upon the Gentiles of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, let's stop there just for a minute, let's talk about that. So they're going to criticize him, and this is the circumcision party. Let's talk a little bit about the circumcision party. These are what would be classified as legalists. The people that tend to give most of the criticism in church settings are legalists. Let me define for you what legalism is. Legalists tend to confuse uh, essential Christian doctrine with non-essential doctrine. Uh, For instance, sometimes legalists, when they come in here, they're offended because I would wear shorts. How could he do that? My pastor always wore a robe or he wore a suit. And how could this pastor, you know, or or different things like that. And so they're they're offended by that because, and and that would fit into the category of non-essentials. The Bible doesn't say anything about what you wear. It just talks about being modest. 
And so there's a tendency. So legalists will tend to make uh, the non-essential doctrine into essential. Well, that, well, I need to only go to a church where the pastor wears a suit or the pastor does this or that. So that's a legalist. Legalists tend to do that. Legalists also uh, are very works righteousness oriented as opposed to grace righteousness. In other words, their right standing before God is based on Jesus plus something else. In other words, yeah, Jesus did the work on the cross, but I need to do this. I need to add this to his work. That's a legalist. It's Jesus plus something equals salvation. But actually, the gospel doesn't teach that. The Bible actually teaches, the gospel says, no, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the gospel. So what legalists do is that, uh, yeah, 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 you need to receive Jesus, but then you also need to do these other things before he'll really accept you. That's not true, but that's what these, the circumcision group, uh, that's what they were about. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus who you eat with. That's what they're going to get, uh, get on to Peter about. Another thing about a legalist is that um, their morality, their virtuous behavior is motivated out of fear and pride versus a Christian. Now listen to me. There's a major difference between a legalist and a Christian. Legalist is motivated out of fear and pride. You better. You don't want to be like all those other people. By the way, if you listen carefully, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors will actually motivate people out of fear and pride. They don't even know what they're doing, really. But a Christian, their virtuous behavior, their morality, listen to me, is motivated out of a heart that is smitten by the beauty and the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So my question for you is, why are you here today? Why do you go to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you put money in the box? Why do you do any of those things? I would hope that it's not out of fear or pride because that would, be, that would put you in the category of being a legalist. But it would be because you, you have... You, you're beginning to get a glimpse of what Jesus did for you on the cross for you. For you. That he loved you so much, your heart is, is ravished by his love. See, that's the gospel. It's the gospel message. And so it's a natural, your natural response. His love, his, his sacrificial, extravagant love awakens our love in response. And why wouldn't I want to follow him? Why wouldn't I want to give to him? Why wouldn't I want to, to know him more? See, that would, that's the natural response of a person who has had an encounter with Jesus. So you got the circumcision bunch who are criticizing Peter. And listen to what they criticize Peter for. This is where criticism, you know, we talk about criticism here, and I think it's really important. I think it, he says, you went, they say, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. How dare you? Verse 4, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. Now, notice this. This is what's interesting is that Peter is not defensive. There's a major difference between being defensive and then giving a defense, giving an argument. That's what he's doing here. So don't confuse the two. One thing of being defensive. Being defensive is a wall that's insecurity. It's based on this more of an open aggression or it can be also closed, uh, more of a quiet, passive aggression type thing. But it's... Uh, and so there's a major difference. Let me walk through this text. And so this is how he, and he goes through the story that just went down in chapter 10. As he goes through it, so I'm going to read through it in detail so that if you weren't with us, you'll understand a little bit of what went down in his life because you need to understand how he gives the explanation and then what he bases this experience that he had with God on. And so he said, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. 
And it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. So these are all the animals that the Jewish people were not to eat from. This is what he's seeing in this vision. That's Old Testament, Old Testament law before Jesus came and was the fulfillment of this Old Testament law. Law was to point them to Jesus ultimately. But Peter was still hanging on to that along with other Christians who were still hanging on to the law and embracing the law. And so, looking at it closely, I observed animals. And then verse 7, And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I say, By no means, Lord. By the way, uh, that's a contradiction when you say, By no means, Lord. No, Lord. You can't say that. He's not really your Lord when you say, No, Lord. It's either thy will be done or my will be done. He's almost saying, he's like saying, my will, Lord. Lord, Lord means you're the master. Well, not if you're saying no to the master. You can't do that. <laughs> it's a contradiction. So it's kind of interesting. We play that same game. It's either thy will be done or my will be done. My tendency is I want my will to be done. He's kind of pushing back from God. God's talking to him and said, hey, I want you to do this. And he's pushing back. He said, by no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. By the way, your ability to completely surrender to God is to, to see. For you to be able to trust God is you need to get to know Him. And the more you get to know Him, the more you'll trust Him. If you're stressed out about what He's wanting you to do, it's because you don't know Him. I'm telling you, when you know Him and you know the love that He has showed to you on the cross, you're going to not want to trample on His love and wisdom for your life when He gives you a directive or as He is orchestrating your life and things begin to kind of fly in the fan at you. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy things happening. You can submit to that more easily rather than to push back from that when you understand who it is that walks through your day with you, who it is that loves you, who it is that is in control of all the things in our lives. So we get to know Him, get to know His love for you. And then you'll be saying this less, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. God is so persistent with us because He wants, to, wants us to understand His love. He keeps coming at us with His love and His directives and His, His directives in the context of His amazing love. What God has made clean, do not call common. It's in red letters because this is the Lord speaking to him. This happened three times. And all was drawn up against, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent uh, to me from Caesarea. And the Lord told me to go with them, making no distinction. Remember in chapter 10... Verse, verses 34, Peter said that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God. So this is, where he's, this is what he's basing that on. God shows no distinction. Uh, God has no secret society of intimate friends. In other words, God shows no partiality is what he's saying. God's not showing any distinction here. In other, one, in, in other words, everyone is God's favorite Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is God's favorite, is, is the, God's favorite. That's the idea here. God shows no favoritism. That's awesome. And that's what uh, Peter's beginning to understand here. God has no favorites in that, in that sense. 
And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. He's talking here, this is talking about Cornelius. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. He's referring to Acts chapter 2. And so he's seeing the same thing happen to these Gentiles, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 10. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with the water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there just for a minute. Take a look up here. This is what you need to understand. All the experiences in the world, all the encounters that you have, if you don't base it on the word of God... Don't follow it. Don't go there. It has to be filtered through the Word of God. There are all sorts of nut jobs, cults, weird churches out there because these guys had visions and dreams and all kinds of things. But if you were to, if you were to run it through the Scripture, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take. It wouldn't, it's inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. It doesn't take much thinking when you look at the various cults out there, all the way from Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, to Christian Science, to all of these that would use the Scripture to base their teachings, and many of which came as a result of some guy or some group of people having an experience. Did you notice that Peter has this experience, and yet immediately he goes right back to the Bible and says, Look, see, this is prophesied. This is a fulfillment of what was said to us by our Savior. So it's good that we have encounters with God, but those encounters need to be consistent with what the Bible teaches. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth. Fourth chapter of John. So it's important as you look at that, you, you see that it, it discredits a lot of stuff out there that people say they've had an encounter with God and then they begin to tell you certain things and all you got to do is go back to the Bible. And so if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. This is cool. Notice their response. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God. They were like, wow. Saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is God's word. We're going to continue on reading uh, in this chapter, but let me give you the first thing, how to, receive, how to receive criticism, how to receive it. Here's the first thing. If you're going to receive criticism, be, a good, be good at receiving criticism, is that my identity must be completely in Christ. My identity has got to be completely in Christ. It's interesting that uh, Peter uh, doesn't become defensive. He just gives them, uh, just kind of works through the process, explains it to them, and... Um, Here's what you need to know. If you try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on your own through Christ, all of your relationships will become an effort to complete yourself. If you enter into a relationship with anybody before you've found your sense of identity in Christ, all you can take into that relationship is neediness, is deficit. If you are thinking out there that Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright is out there somewhere and they're going to complete you, wrong. You're going to mess up that relationship just as they will, thinking that you're the perfect match for them. It's, it doesn't work that way. 
here's what messes up our lives is that we are spiritually alienated, which creates a psychological alienation, a deficit. I'm needy oh, because I'm disconnected from God. So I've got this psychological stuff going on, and I'm thinking it's, it's out there somewhere in a relationship. No, you're just going to mess up that relationship. If I try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on my own, all my relationships become an effort to complete myself. Your completeness comes in Jesus Christ. And then out of that completeness... You begin to cultivate the kind of relationship that would ultimately honor God. And by the way, you're not going to be able to handle criticism. If you find yourself blowing up or having a meltdown every time someone says something negative to you, it's because your completeness is not in Christ. You're not centered upon Him. Think about this for a minute. The more you center yourself on the God of all creation who bled and died for you, the more you begin to see... See him bleeding, dying, resurrecting, ascending, interceding for you. The more you will begin to savor him. That's called worship. He'll be the praise and the prize of your life. And the more you'll begin to show him in your life. And then when people criticize, you're not going to take it personal. Oh my goodness, the God of... The God of the galaxies died for you. See, what happens when we, when we have a meltdown or, uh, or have a blow up or I just don't like what those people say or I don't want to hear that or whatever it is, it's because our identity and we're putting too much weight in what people say about us as opposed to what has already been established and said about us for time and eternity through the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's just that's a great indication. So when you got the conflict going on, someone says something mean to you and you kind of go off the scales, that tells you what a wonderful opportunity to recenter yourself upon Jesus. Do you have any idea how much he loves you and what he's done for you? And when you're anchored in the cross, man, you can take it. You can take criticism. But you've got to be centered in Christ. In fact, you'll be open for criticism. You'll even ask for it. What do you see in me? I don't want anything to interfere with my walk with God. I want to know Him. And I don't want anything to interfere with my ability to be able to communicate to you Him more clearly. So you'll ask for that because because you want more of Him. You want Him more than anything. So my identity must be uh, completely in Christ. I gave you a bunch of verses there you can look up on your own. It talks about... That Let me just go to one. Acts 4.13. Remember uh, Peter and John, first part of Acts. Remember what was said about them? It's really a, a favorite verse of mine. Verse 13, chapter 4. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they had been brought before the council. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. It's spending time with Jesus. It's spending time with Jesus. By the way, you're spending time with Jesus is not just a checklist. Oh, did that, did that, did that. It's an encounter with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, looking into his eyes and beginning to see the value that he places upon you and you being captivated by his love for you. And then out of that, that gives you the strength to be able to really get it, go into life and to be able to manage. Listen, there is no trial. I know some of you are going through extreme trials right now. I'm telling you, there is no trial that exceeds the power and the peace and the presence of God that is available for you today, right now. There is nothing that can exceed the presence of Jesus, and He will never leave you. 
Do you hear me? You can't earn that. It's by faith in Jesus. It's putting your faith in the, in the work of Jesus. You have everything you need through him. And so when we find ourselves, you know, with the extreme anxiety, inordinate anxiety, anger, depression, responding to people negatively, it's because we're out of, out of balance. We're, we're not centered upon the cross because it brings a sense of security and peace and poise and courage. I can face life differently. I look at life differently. Okay, let's go on because we need to unpack this. We need to see how that works. Here's the next point. This will give me the ability to face rather than to fight or flight. So I can actually face the tendency. The tendency is to uh, is to fight or flight. Fight, remember, fight the gunslinger. That's the open aggression. Or to flight, Eskimo. I'm out of here. So the the fight is truth, not much love. Flight would be more love, not much truth. So that's that kind of balance. But but the Latin word for confront means to face. By the way, we should be facing these issues every day. It tells us in Ephesians 4, 25 through 27, it actually says that it says, uh, be angry. Why would you be angry? The Bible is just assuming you're going to be angry. There's going to be anger in your life. And anger comes secondary to hurt, frustration, fear. So it says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So let's just say that somebody has offended you. So it says, deal with it. Work through the issues before the sun sets. So in other words, you know, be quick about working through these issues. Then it goes on, it says, and do not give the devil a foothold because bitterness is one of the ways that we give the devil a foothold into our life quicker than anything. And so, so as you're facing that, you need to ask yourself, why am I angry? Why am I so ticked off? Oh, by the way, you need to also know this. Let me just share it real quick in case I forget. That overreaction that we have sometimes when somebody comes up and, and says something, we tend to overreact. I, I might be saying it a little bit further down, but let me just say it right now just to clear it so you guys understand. You guys are familiar with, and I've, I've shared this before, the, the sunburn analogy. That if, How many have ever had a sunburn before? Hurts, huh? And you put your shirt on, you just kind of, and somebody comes up. Have you ever had somebody come up and pat you on the back with a sunburn? How many have ever experienced that before? What do you do? You punch them out. <laughs> so I go, yeah, boom. And they go, what was that for? I got a sunburn. I didn't know that. Well, the same thing happens sometimes. I call it a sunburn. It's like if you haven't resolved the issues in your life, you got a sunburn. Someone brings up that person's name, that situation, that circumstances. Man, you go off on them and they're like, what the heck just happened? And so when you find yourself overreacting to a person's name or circumstance or something in your life, you got a sunburn. You got something going on. Oh my goodness, what a wonderful opportunity to encounter Jesus through that and let him walk you through that and bring healing and to recenter yourself upon the cross and all of who Jesus is. That's amazing. But see, what, what do we do? We just, we fight through it. We fight or flight rather than to face, face it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on? Here's the next point on your notes. This is what it means to face. Is God trying to say something to me about my life? And see, this is what Peter's doing. Verses 9 through 12, God spoke to him. And then verse 16, it's confirmed by the word of God. Proverbs 10, 17. Proverbs 10, 17, it says, uh, whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. I'm going to put this little fan out here. 
So I'm getting kind of warm. I'm going to stand right here. Um, there we go. All of a sudden got hot in here just real quick, just like that. And uh, so let me read this verse again to you. Where am I? Proverbs ten seventeen. Whoever heeds instruction, so if you're open to criticism, is on the path of life. You want to be on the path of life, you need to be open to criticism. But he who rejects reproof leads others astray. In other words, if you don't listen to criticism, you have the potential to, to not only foul up your life, but to foul up other people's lives, to lead them astray. Here's another one, Proverbs thirteen eighteen. Poverty and disgrace come, comes to him who ignores instruction. Whoever heeds reproof is honored. So the book of Proverbs gives us a lot of great insight as it relates to criticism. Here's the next point in your notes. Seek to understand rather than to be understood. So you're, so you got to be complete in Christ. you got to learn to face the issue. You're asking yourself some hard questions. What is God trying to speak to me through this? By the way, God is speaking to you. He speaks to us all the time. Heavens declare the glory of God. The, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks down the road, about how God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to us. But you begin to ask, what are you wanting to say to me about my life, through the circumstances of my life? And then seek to understand rather than to be understood. You're talking about a person who's come up and, and, and is criticizing you. Proverbs 25, it says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. I, I put on my notes also that when you're seeking to understand, you want to ask the question, what is their spiritual gift or what is their level of spiritual maturity? Have you ever noticed this? Maybe you've been in a small group before and somebody begins to be open and vulnerable and they begin to share about how they screwed up their finances or whatever they did. And then you got a bunch of different reactions in that group because you got a bunch of different gifts. For instance, a person that has the gift of mercy, they're going to be more, they're going to listen. They're going to be more supportive. But the person that's more of a pastor, the gift of pastor, they're going to try to lead them through the process. The person that has more of the gift of prophet, that's familiar with that, they're going to want to lecture. But each of those are going to be somewhat conflicting. And so oftentimes when someone's giving you criticism, I'll oftentimes look and say, what is their gift? I wonder what their gift is. Sometimes you can identify what their gift is. If you have the gift of leadership and you go into a meeting that's poorly run, it's going to bother you. You're going to probably give criticism. You probably will. If you have the gift of administration and you go into a place where it's poorly administrated, I mean, it's just a bad situation, you're going to probably critique it because it bothers you. So oftentimes when I'll ask, what is their gift and what is their spiritual maturity? And maybe they see things that I, I can't see. Here's another thing that creates conflict. Just male and female, gender differences. Oh my goodness. How many men out there think that they really understand the women in their life? Trick question, don't raise your hand, don't. No, you're caught either way, whether you raise it or not. You understand me. No, you don't understand me. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. Exactly. I mean, it just, it it can be confusing trying to understand. I almost get the idea sometimes that God is, God's, he hooks us up, you know, opposites attract. You know, I'm overly controlling. She's overly compliant. We come together. Woo, sparks are flying. Woo, God, it's almost like God saying, ha, 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 ha. That sounds wicked and evil, doesn't it? But it's because he loves us and he uses uh, oftentimes marriage as the sanctifying process to purify our lives. And like I said at the very beginning, let me say it as it relates to marriage. Marriage will not put you in conflict with your spouse as much as it will put you in conflict with your own sinful nature. 
It's all her, though. It's all her fault. See, that's your, that's your sinful nature that would, you know, blame shift and do that and not to really look at yourself and to deal with it. I, uh, I was thinking about this and I, I came across an article that I had a number of years ago. But, I mean, just generally speaking, when you look at men and women, men are all about facts. They're facts-oriented. Women are feeling-oriented. That right there creates conflict in conversation and relationships. Men are things-oriented. Women are people-oriented. Men are, are less verbal. Women are more verbal. That's a nice way to put it, isn't it? Yeah. This guy said this, differences. In most marriages, it's been said that a man will pay $2 for a $1 item he needs. A woman will pay $1 for a $2 item she doesn't need. In most marriages, it's been said a woman worries about the future until she gets a husband, and a man never worries about the future until he gets a wife. In most marriages, it's been said, a woman marries a man expecting he will change, but he doesn't. A man marries a woman expecting that she won't change, and she does. Here's the last one. In most marriages, it's been said, for a woman to be happy with a man, she must understand him and love him a little. For a man to be happy with a woman, he must love her a lot and try not to understand her at all. Seek to understand rather than to be understood. And that's, you're going to look and you go, I don't understand exactly, but it's going to take you. Just go, I don't know. I, I need God, don't I? Yes, you do. Okay. You're desperate for him. You just don't know it yet. And when you come to those realizations, at those roadblocks, you just go, I don't know where she's coming from. I don't know where he's coming from. Exactly. You need him. You need to find your completeness in him. Here's the next one. This is a big one. Most important thing to say. Someone comes up and criticizes you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you telling me that. And I want you to know that I will certainly consider what you said. Is there anything else you would like to tell me? (laughs) That was the same response I got from the first service. They laughed. I mean, because it it shouldn't sound humorous, but it is. It's like, oh, yeah, right. (laughs) You got any more for me? I mean, that's not how I said to say it, but but how often do we do that? Do we even open ourselves up to criticism? Do we ever say, when was the last time, guys or ladies, you went to your husband, your spouse and said, hey, I want to be the best husband ever. I want to learn how to love you as Christ loved the church. He has so gotten a hold of my heart. And I know I'm messing up in a major way, but I want to learn how to do that. Would you be willing to help me through this process? Would you walk with me through this so that I can be a better husband for you and love you more as Christ loves the church? I'm telling you, that takes courage. It takes a man whose life is centered upon Christ. It takes a woman whose life is centered upon Christ. And there's a security. Now think about this. You go before Christ regularly and your sense of identity, significance and security is in Him. That should be normal conversation in our relationships. You know what keeps us from that? It's pride. We're full of pride. And uh, I'm right there with you. Those those are hard words. When I wrote those down, I'm like, do I do that? Kind of. Not. I just have to ask my wife. 
And uh, thank you very much. I appreciate you telling me that. And I want you to know that I, I will certainly consider what you've said. Is there anything else you would like to tell me? Proverbs 15, 1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, a harsh word stirs up anger. Did you know that there's a potential bomb in our relationships oftentimes? And through your words and how you respond, you can either detonate it or disarm it. My, my history is that I've detonated a lot of bombs. You know, someone gets in my face and is like, Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Get in my face. Open aggression. I'll show you. I mean, that's been my attitude. Come on. Take, I'll take you on. You don't like our church? Come over here. I'll really make you not like our church. Boom. And it's just like, why would you do that? Don't you understand? And, and I'd always, and then I was convicted because I'd think, wait a minute, wait a minute. The message of the cross, the message of the gospel is about a man who died for his enemies. Oh my goodness. What part of the gospel did I miss? The big, the big E on the I chart. It's like, there it is. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. And that's, when he gets a hold of your heart, and, and, as, and through the years, as the Lord began to work in my heart, through my beautiful bride, my wife. Here's another verse that says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. I mean, you can disarm someone that's coming after you, just with your words. That's what it's saying. But here's a question. Let me, i got to cover this real quick. Is it, how do you know whether or not they're just, they're just fickle and hypersensitive and... They've got this, you know, as Pastor Ray said, this, this sunburn. She just needs to get over her sunburn. Oh, that'll help her. Um, how do you know if it's not her insensitivity or it's your uh, not being sensitive enough? Well, you're not going to know that until you walk together through the process and you create an atmosphere of love. And that it's safe for her to be able to share her heart and you're not spinning it on her and putting it back in her face all the time. Or she's not doing the same thing with you. A gentle answer turns away. You're open. You're saying, do you see anything else in my life? You don't become defensive. You say, wow, is that how you feel? You don't feel loved by me? Oh my goodness, that's the last thing I want from you. I want you to know that I love you. I thought I was doing things that were loving, but evidently you're not experiencing it. And I'm so sorry. I want you to feel that love. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He died on the cross for us. He pursues us while we're chasing after other lovers and we're pushing them back. And he pursues us and loves us and bled and died for us. And so that's part of, part of that. If the criticism is true, that's the next one. This is how you respond. It is absolutely correct I need to ask you to forgive me. I apologize, and I want to do my best to make sure it doesn't happen again. Matthew five twenty three through twenty six. It actually says this: that when you're coming to to the to the church and you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you've offended them. The, the Bible says actually, God says, drop drop the gift, go and make it right. That's how important it is to Him. In fact, you're making it right is really a manifestation of whether or not you really have this right relationship with God. And then uh, here's another thing you need to keep in mind, though. It is never it is never loving to allow someone to sin against you. It is never loving to allow someone to sin against you. So what I'm saying is that your tenderness is not just sitting there taking abuse. You don't do that. You call the cops if you're getting abused physically. 
If it's verbal abuse, you call the elders of the church. You call your small group leader. You get people involved in this process so that you can find your healing. But you don't let them sin against you. You don't do that. That's not loving. That's part of the process of healing. We speak the truth in love. We hold them accountable. They hold us accountable. Otherwise, you got this crazy abuse. And I've seen people that are, that are, you know, they've been victims of abuse in the past and they run right back into it. Wrong. Run the other way. We will help you. We will protect you. We're there for you. We're not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. Just take it. In fact, I will not carry on conversation with someone who wants, if someone wants to abuse me or threaten me or verbally uh, put me down, I'll just say, time. Hey, you know what? Let's have some mutual love and respect for one another. Let's walk through this. In fact, that takes us to the next point here. And that is... uh, uh, Actually, let's hold up for a second. Let me just give you a couple verses here. Matthew 18, 15 really makes that very clear. It is never loving to allow someone to sin against you. Matthew 18, 15 makes that very clear. If your brother sins against you, you need to go to him. And then also 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. So that's part of it. But here's the, here's the bottom line. Either way, your ultimate goal is to put on display the glory of God. Either way, the bottom goal is to put on display the glory of God. Did you notice what happened in this story, verse 18? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and glorified God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And let me just spend a little bit of time here. I need to talk about this because I think it's part of kind of working through this in our own lives. Um, and you guys, I'm sure that you'd probably agree with this, is that it's... Uh, um, it's not what happens to us, but it's what happens in us that matters most. In other words, I heard Charles Swindoll say it like this. Life is 20% what happens to us and 80% how we respond to it. Okay? So the events of my life, good, bad, and ugly, how I evaluate the events of my life, good, and bad, and ugly will determine how I feel, how I think, feel, and will respond to those events. Now, here's our problem. Because we are control freaks, what do we focus on? We focus on the 20%, the people, things, and circumstances of our life, as opposed to the 80%, our responsibility. By the way, if you begin to realize really how little you are in control of, it would freak you out. And thank God that you have a sovereign God who's in control of everything. And you can submit to His will and let Him call the shots ultimately. But you're not really in that much control of anything. Things happen a lot of times that, we, that are totally out of our control. And finally, we realize that. And so what we do is we try to control the 20%, what happens to us, as opposed to the 80% of what's happening inside of us. And what's happening inside of us is, is far more important that if we can remind ourselves during those times when we're trying to focus on and trying to control through our passive or open aggression, that 20%, but come back to that 80% and say, hey, wait, 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 God's with me. He loves me. He's going to take care of me. I'm going to be okay He once and for all told me on the cross, if God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely give us all things? If he took care of my worst problem that separated me from him, he'll take care of all my other problems. I'm going to submit to his will. I'm going to be okay. But see, because we are control freaks, we try to focus on, if I can just change my wife, if I can change my job, if I can change these things, I'll be a better person. No, God is using your wife and your circumstances to bring change to you so that you'll learn to trust in Him. And that's where you'll find your deepest joy. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. 
regardless of the people, things, and circumstances. It doesn't matter. You've got him. He is more than enough. He is more than enough. When you know him and you walk with him, I was thinking of the, the, the words of that song. I wrote them down. The riches of your love will always be enough. It was a song we sang earlier. And when that is not just a concept, something you sing, but it becomes a reality. You walk in the reality of his love every day. The riches of your love will always be enough. It doesn't matter what you face. He's with you. You can face the issues of life, the people, things, and circumstances, the 20% with that 80% confidence, even more than that, because you've got God. If God be for you, who can be against you? Okay, I got really excited right there. Woo! So how do you give it? How do you give it? I've run smack dab once again at a time, and I'm going to run through this next section. I'm going to have you read the last section on your own, but let me give you the fill in the blanks here. Let me read through this next section. So now those who scattered because of the um, um, verse 19, chapter 11, uh, arose after Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch and speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist, also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord and the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So they're kind of wondering, okay, what's going on? God's pouring out his Holy Spirit upon these people. We better check into this. And so guess what they do? And they sent Barabbas. I mean, Barabbas. Oh, my goodness. That was a, Barabbas was a, okay. Barnabas. We'll have to X that out of the recording there on that one. Barnabas. Barabbas was the guy that they let go and crucified Jesus. But Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God. And notice his, he's coming to critique them. Is this of God? So he's coming to give criticism. And it's just a really a great example of how we, we need to learn how to do it. He says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Stop there. Let me give you the next fill in the blank. So this is how you do it. People must feel that you sincerely care about them. And that's what you see with uh, Barnabas. I almost said it again. Barnabas. Barnabas. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. See, here's what you need. If you want to speak truth to people in your life and you find them overreacting, it's either... Uh, hypersensitivity on their part or it's insensitivity on your part. You're never going to get there but to continue to be tender with them and continue to love them, continue to pursue them. And you need a cradle of security for your moments of vulnerability. When you see people pushing back and being defensive, don't get harder on them. Get softer. Get soft. Get soft. Gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stirs up anger. Oh my goodness. I Did I say something? Did I do something? Did I create... Are you responding to something that I've done in the past? Please forgive me. I, do you understand that I love you? And you've and you got to continue to validate that. In, if the context is unconditional love, you can deal successfully with any content issue in a relationship. I sit down with a lot of couples. And this is what I do. This is typically what I do. If they're dealing with, let's say they're dealing with financial issues, and they're, and they're fighting like cats and dogs over financial issues, or maybe parenting issues. And oftentimes I'll say, hey, wait, 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 you'll never be able to deal with your financial issues or your, uh, or your parenting issues uh, until you do something here. First of all, the context 
of your relationship has to be love. So let's start there. Let's start back to how you're treating one another. And the way that you're treating one another right now isn't very good. It's not, it doesn't represent the cross. It doesn't represent Christ. And so it's the, you got to deal with the A problem. A problems would be the context. What is the context of your relationship? Does my wife know that I am madly in love with her? Does she feel safe? Can she confront me over any issue because she knows that I love her? There needs to be that safety. She needs to be. There was a time in, in our lives when she would walk around on eggshells. She, would, she couldn't say things to me because I would go off on her. Man, that broke my heart when I began to understand that, how I so misrepresented Christ in that. So when you have a context of unconditional love, you can deal with any content issue. Here's the next one. In fact, this is what you want that person to be able to say. I don't want to hear what they have to say because I know it's true. I don't want to hear what they have to say, but I cannot deny the fact that they love me and they care of the world for me. That's what you want people to be able to say. I know, I know he's committed to me. I know he loves me. I don't want to hear their hard words, but I, I know I need to hear them, but I know that he loves me. Here's the next one. Affirm and celebrate your relationship with them and their progress in the Lord. So you constantly remind them, hey, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to this relationship. I love you. I see God doing this in your life. I am so excited. I want to celebrate that with you. And that's what you see with, uh, with Barnabas. I almost said it again. You notice I have to hesitate there for some. I didn't have to do that in the first service. Here's the next one. Attack the problem and not the person. And this is what it looks like. I know I haven't been easy to live with. Please forgive me. But when you do A, I feel B, and I wish you would do C. See, you don't attack the person. You're always doing that. Why are you? It's like, and this is what my wife had to do, and she had to do this over time, and I've, I've shared this before, but I would come home from the fire department because I had passive aggression there, and I'd come home with open aggression, and she would have to over and over again say, hey, I love you. I'm committed to this relationship. But when you come home and you vent on us, it creates this atmosphere in our home. The kids feel like they're walking around on eggshells, and they need a daddy who loves them and supports them. It's creating a really volatile environment for them. And so when you come home, could you, instead of doing this, could you do this? And then, am I missing something somewhere along the line? And that's, that's what you need to do. It says, but I need to find out if I'm missing something. So if, when you do A, I feel B, I wish you would do C instead, but I need to find out, am I missing something here? It says in Proverbs twelve eighteen, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 16, 23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. And it was my wife's consistently uh, consistency over time that actually began to break my heart and my desire to want to serve God in that. But So she kept coming at me with love and truth, love and truth, love and truth. And over time, it, it, she wouldn't let me alone. And we sought help and I got help and began to work through those issues. Here's the next point you need to understand. It's not on your notes, but any love that is afraid to confront the one loved is really not love, but rather a kind of emotional hunger or selfish desire to be loved. It's called codependency. So any love that is afraid to confront the one being loved is not real love, but it's a kind of emotional hunger or selfish desire to be loved. You're more concerned about how you feel in this relationship as opposed to the fact that this person is doing something that's maybe offensive to you or others and you're afraid to confront them over that. You love yourself more than you love them and the relationship. And so what you need to do is muster the strength in Christ and in the cross and be centered on that. Here's the last one. You can read this the last text on your own. Here's the benefits. I've got them kind of subbed out there. Here's the next one. So Christianity is more attractive to outsiders. That's what happens when we begin to be humble 
and we're open and we're receptive and God can begin to change us. Here's the next one. And, and so you see that great many people were attracted, were added to the Lord. Here's the next point. Because we are becoming more like Christ. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That's the first time you, use, you see that word being used here, Christians. Little Christ. Like I said, Christianity is about a man dying for his enemies. Here's the last point. It, it keeps you on track, avoiding costly mistakes in living the, and keeps you from living the fullness of life Christ came to give us. And it says here in verse 28, Agabus foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine. So there's a prophet that comes in and begins to speak some pretty hard words. And so they were open and listened and made the adjustments and God was able to use them so that they could bless others through that. Just as, as David was confronted by the prophet Nathan, says in Proverbs 13, 18, poverty and disgrace comes to him who ignores instruction. Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. We're going to take communion here. Would you bow your heads? Let's prepare our hearts for communion. And as you're thinking about what we said here today, really that last point, let me just elaborate on that last point. Here's the last point. Why am I open to criticism? I want to avoid costly mistakes. I want to live life to its fullest. There's a place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, really, he's just saying, if you had any idea who Christ is and what he had in, in store for you, what God has in store for you, you'd do everything. You'd go to extreme measures, even cut your hand off or pluck out your eye to deal with those things that would keep you and sideline you from really experiencing all that God has for you. I mean, that's, that's what happens to a heart that's been ravished by the love of God. You begin to look for opportunities. God, how can I grow? Bring people into my life that will help me to grow, that will speak the truth and love to me so that I can know you and grow in my relationship with you. God, thank you so much for your grace and your truth. God, we want to be people who both hear and speak the truth in love. God, as we take communion, remind us of your extravagant sacrificial love for us. If you're here today and uh, you're a believer, feel free to take communion. Uh, we're going to be passing the plates. Just take it, hang on to it. I want to walk us through the process here in a moment. If you're not a believer, let it pass by. If you want to become a believer, you can by just a prayer of faith in Jesus. Acknowledge your sin that separates you from him. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and confess him as Lord and Savior. Turn your life over to him. And what's keeping you from doing that? It's the most amazing, most unbelievable thing you could do. I mean, it's just to give your life to him. Run to him. Run to him with your life. Give him your life and then you can take communion with us. God, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for him dying on the cross for us. In Jesus' name.